Amen. Good morning. You may have noticed the last couple of weeks, one of the things we're trying to get you guys to do is to grab one of these things on the way in or out of the door and just to kind of review. It's sort of a dashboard of what's happening at Rio. It's not all things Rio. If you want that, the best way to follow us is just get our free phone app and just look at all the things that are coming up. But again, if you look at this, you see Alpha. If you're not a believer and you've got questions and all of that, you want a safe place to just kind of explore this thing called the Christian faith, that's for you. If you're interested maybe in joining the church, then we've got a starting point meet and greet, which doesn't obligate you to anything other than to just come have some coffee and get to know some people and hear what the process looks like. If you want to take a deeper dive than what we're doing on Sunday mornings or maybe what you're doing in your own personal worship, man, we have this spiritual formation class on Wednesday night. And it's really, really wonderful. But then lastly, like if your kids just got done with school this week or they're going to get done with school this coming week and you are like, hooray, and also a little bit freaked out because you don't know what you're going to do, that bottom one right there, Summersational, is for you. That was a blessing to our family as our kids grew up. And even after they sort of graduated out of Summersational, they worked there. And so it was amazing and, uh, and awesome, and, and we'd love to have you participate in that. And as always, like all of these things that we put out there are for everybody. So if you have friends or family or neighbors or whatever, let them know. Let them know. Uh, I want to stop and say I love that song <laughs> that we just sang, right? I mean, that was amazing. And, and let you know, another thing that we do regularly is on Friday mornings from 8.30 to 9.30, uh, we gather together as a staff and just anybody else who wants to come. We've got several other people who come. And we worship together. We have a couple of songs, and we did that one uh, this Friday. And then we just spent an hour together praying together. And as we listened, as we sang through that song and another one uh, this Friday, I felt like the Lord laid a passage of Scripture on my heart that I'm going to share with you. Out of the book of Isaiah. You know, you think of the images in that song, and they're coming straight out of the Bible. There was another in the fire. What is that? That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's one holding back the waters. What is that? That's the parting of the Red Sea. I love that place where it talks about, I can hear the roar in the heavens as the space between wears thin. What is the God in the heavens saying? If you're having a tough time, I think he's saying this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Whether you realize it or not, that is the God that you came to worship today. That's the God, or maybe you just came to hear about today, or maybe you got dragged here. That's the God in whose presence you're seated now today. That's a glorious God. And he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And so at this church, ever since Easter, when we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, which, by the way, proved him to be God, 
We've been talking about what God has given to us. What has Christ given to us? We've said he's given us a purpose. He's given us his presence. He's given us his power, which is kind of a really cool thing. And then last week, Scott talked about the fact and introduced this idea that, you know what else? He's given us prayer. And prayer, by the way, is immensely powerful. I think far more so than we recognize. I want you to hear what James, the brother of Jesus, has to say about prayer in James 4, verse 2. He says this. He says, you do not have. Okay, why? (laughs) Because you do not ask. All right, let me say what a lot of you are thinking. You're thinking, I do not have, notwithstanding the fact that I ask. Because a lot of us have asked and don't yet have. Do you agree with that? So what's the deal with that? I mean, like, how does that work? I think maybe the best way that I can explain it is like a parent and a child. And those of you with kids are are going to be tracking with me on this one, okay? You're the parent, and the four-year-old is the child. And the four-year-old comes to you with all kinds of prayers all the time, right? And sometimes at the most annoying and inconvenient time, like you're trying to check out at the grocery store and the kid wants the candy and he asks for the candy and 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 asks for the candy. And like the, the receptionist is like ready to just give him the candy just to shut him up, right? And he asks for the candy and finally you just buy it to get some peace. Amazing negotiator kids. But... Sometimes they come to you with a request, and it's a good request, and what do you do? You delight in answering it. You know what? Yes, I'm going to give you exactly what you asked for. Sometimes they come to you with a request. It's a good request, but it's like a 2 on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being really good, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go way beyond your request. Let me give you a 10. Sometimes they come and they ask for things that you know in your greater wisdom would be destructive, would be harmful, or maybe they're just not yet ready for. And in your greater wisdom... You deny the request. Look, if there's a difference in our wisdom levels between us and our kids, how much greater is the difference between Almighty God and me or you? I think what James is saying is, listen, you do not have all of the good things that your Heavenly Father would delight to give you because you don't ask. When you do, He will give you more delightful things than you realize. He will answer your prayers in accordance with his greater wisdom. And someday you will recognize that great wisdom and and be thankful that it exists. So James says, you do not have because you do not ask, which is really instructive for many other things. But it also teaches us that we have a God who wants to be pursued and not presumed upon. And so what has he done? He has created a system whereby he requires us to come to him to ask him for things, even that he already knows that we need. Why? Because he's a God who delights in denying us the things that we need, withholding them from us? No, because he's a God who delights in us. And here's what he knows. He knows that good communication is the foundation of every good relationship that exists. And just try to get your heart and mind around this for a minute, because here's what God wants. God wants to have a good relationship with you. And it's undisputed. Guys, he has given you Jesus. God himself entered into humanity as one of us and to do what? To remove all of the barriers and walls that I've erected between me and God, that you've erected between you and God. All of us in our selfishness, all of us in our failures, all of us in our desire to be God for ourselves. And frankly, if we're honest, God for at least everybody in our little orbit and even God to God, because we try to get everybody to do what we want done, including him. Pile upon pile of offenses, guilt, 
shame. God says, listen, I'm going to break through all of that so that I can have you, and I'm going to do that through the person as my son, Jesus, at the expense of his infinitely valuable, perfectly righteous life. Listen, God wants to have a good relationship with you. He's given you Christ. He's given you his spirit who lives within you. That's his presence in you, his power in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, as Scott talked about last week, he's given us prayer. And so as we began this conversation about prayer, Scott answered the question of why should we pray? And if you remember the message or if you missed it, go back and listen to it. It's really good. It's entirely relationship-based. It's conversation with the Lord. And today, I want to take up the question of how should we pray? And here's the really convenient thing if you're me. That is exactly the question that Jesus' disciples in the book of Luke came to him and asked. It's fascinating. As you read through the accounts of Jesus' life in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in John, what you find is that Luke seems to dial in on the prayer life of Jesus more than any of the other gospel writers. And so you see Jesus praying and going away to pray, and you hear about his prayers and what happens when he prays and all of these different things. And so then it's no surprise that it's in that gospel that Luke records the fact that the disciples who are witness to the whole of the life of Jesus... See the power of the prayer life of Christ and the connection that he has with the Father and all that comes from that. And they come to him at some point and they go, okay, you got to teach us how to do that. How do we pray? <laughs> but I'm going to give you Matthew's answer because I think it's a little more complete. Beginning Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus says this, and here's a word that you're going to hear again and again, so note it. He says, and, and then here's the word, when. He doesn't say if. Every good relationship, communication, communication, communication. And so he's saying, and when you pray, okay, here's how not to do it. He says, you must not be like the hypocrites, and the word hypocrites refers to a theater and an actor. Or an actor and a theater, sorry, it goes the other way, doesn't it? You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love, here's what they do, to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners publicly is the idea. Why? So that they may be heard by God. No, so that they may be seen by men who are just really impressed with the way these guys pray. It's like, wow, you are like super amazingly spiritual. That was, that was an incredible prayer. Like the theology was sound and well thought out. It was, it was constructed very logically and it flowed point by point. The way you worked in all the verses was just seamless and beautiful. Beautiful. The tear that you conjured up right there at the end, like I have chills at the prayer that you prayed. It was amazing. We're all standing in applause of you, which Jesus says is the only reward they get. And it's not the one you want. He says they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they, meaning these people who pray like that, have received their reward, but it's not the reward of God. And why is that? Because in God's economy, an insincere prayer, guys, is no prayer at all. Whoo! Just think that through. An insincere prayer is no prayer at all. I think what we're tempted to think, like when we hear this example, is, well, okay, so an insincere prayer is no prayer at all, but no sweat, because like I'm not, 
Like, I don't pray publicly, so you don't see me standing on the street corners or at the synagogues. You know, that sounds like something you would do, Tom. So, But I don't do that. Like, I don't do a lot of public praying. I mean, maybe occasionally I get trapped in a prayer group, you know, and, and then you're kind of stuck, aren't you? I mean, even though the person leading it says, just tap the person next to you. There's that, that certain pressure that you feel, and you start counting how many people away because you know it's coming for you. And everybody else has done it, so now you're going to be the one who skips. And the only sincere prayer that you pray in that moment is, dear Jesus, don't let me look stupid right? I mean, that's, we've all done that, or at least most of us. But apart from that, eh. So you're tempted to go, well, I mean, I guess this is a principle that doesn't really apply to me because I don't find myself praying publicly much or at all. In fact, I try to avoid it. But it's not just public prayer that is insincere that he's saying, no, 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 don't do that. It's just insincere prayer. And I think we all fall into patterns where we all do that. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. You know, the one that I've been complaining about right up until the moment my teenager finally made it to the table. Is it real or is it a throwaway? Because I say it pretty frequently. <laughs> Bless this food that we just drove through McDonald's and bought, even though we're probably going to die six weeks earlier because now we're going to eat it. <laughs> And I couldn't resist, Lord. I got the two-for-one apple pie because it's the nectar of the gods. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this, I don't know what's in that other than grease, but it's amazing. <laughs> Bless this food. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, that's terrifying. I pray the Lord my soul to take. I mean, it's no wonder our kids come in in the middle of the night, you know, bigger saucer dies. I can't sleep, you know. Why is that? Because they've been laying there for three hours going, I could die before I wake. <laughs> Some point that's got to click. But it's just, it can become something we just do. And, you know, we're tired and it's been a long day and we know we're supposed to. And I've been there, done that. The Lord is looking for more. So the question is, all right, how do we pray? And thus far, I think we've learned that we should pray sincerely. But now he's going to add to that and say, all right, you should also pray in an undistracted fashion. And what that requires is an undistracted place. So Jesus continues, verse 6, he says, but when, so there's the operative word again, you pray. Do what? Go into your room. The word means literally go into your closet. Go somewhere where there's not going to be any cell phone and there's not going to be any temptation, no computers, no emails, no stuff, nothing electronic. No people are going to interrupt you. Not going to be tempted to focus on anything or anyone other than God. Go into your room, that place, and shut the door. Make it secure and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will do for you what he will not do for the insincere prayer. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. But with what? I think the answer to that is primarily with himself. You know, prayer is not the means by which we get things from God. Prayer is primarily the means by which we get together with God. We come to know God. We spend time with Him. We relate to Him. That's the idea. And you say, well, all right, but can you give me some examples? Okay, so I'll give you some examples. Here's how my wife does this. So I, she gets up before everybody else in the house by a clear 45 minutes because I'm the next one up. 
And so I'll come out 45 minutes later and I'll want to go get my coffee because honestly, I don't want to talk to anybody until I get my coffee, maybe even including the Lord. So it's just helpful for me to do that. And I'll come out of the room and I'll look and I can see her and she's got a couple of pillows and she's kneeling on these pillows and she's got the drapes open and she's facing east just because that's the way our house faces in the back. And the sun's coming up and it's just kind of pretty. And so she's having her time with the Lord. That's pretty much every day. And so I kind of sneak out, you know, because I don't want to interrupt the moment. Another way that she does it, usually also in addition to that, is she just goes for walks. So she'll just put her earbuds in, and we all have this social contract now that if your earbuds are in, that means don't talk to me, right? So you just, you just kind of, I mean, you can give a nod or a wave or, but I mean, if I've got to do this, it's like, oh man. So she puts the earbuds in and she'll listen to the Bible or she'll listen to worship music and she just walks for about three miles, 45 minutes or so, and spends time together with the Lord. I've done this at my office. I've done this in my bedroom. I've done this in a car. So I used to drive out to the beach, and that's where I would do this. Just shut my phone, airplane mode, so it doesn't come over the speaker system if somebody calls me. And sit out there and spend time with the Lord. And then after that, the traffic got bad, and I'm an efficiency guy, so the traffic was costing me an extra 10 minutes. So I was out on the beach. So then I went to the Galleria Mall, to the parking garage. And I've learned all kinds of things about the parking garage. So, for example, the fourth and fifth levels are off limits. They will kick you off the fourth and fifth levels. Just know that going in, okay? That's like not public for some reason. I've learned that people exercise in the parking garage of the Galleria Mall, which is sort of brilliant. I mean, it's shady, it's kind of breezy, and you get to walk uphill, you know? All the way up, all the way down. It's secure. Security guards drive by pretty constantly. I actually pulled a couple of them over when I started doing this, and I said, listen, man, I, you know, this is going to be weird what I'm about to say to you, but it's not the kind of weird you need to worry about, and that's why I'm going to say it. Like, I'm, when you drive by me and you see me sitting there, I'm not doing anything strange. Well, it's strange, but I'm nothing you need to concern. I'm just sitting there praying, reading the Bible, and he said, oh. And that was the whole conversation. <laughs> People park at the mall for years. Did you know that? There's like this 1980 Datsun 280Z. It's like this orangey gold color car. And it has been parked there for like a decade. I don't know who owns the mall. Maybe it's that guy. But like, what's up with that? You know, like at some point you go, maybe we should tow that car that's been here for 12 years. You know, like... I'm pretty sure the guy won't know. But how do we pray? We pray sincerely. Real words. We pray in an undistracted place and way and fashion. Dedicated time. But I think what people are really asking when they come and they go, okay, so how, how do I pray? What they're really saying is, what, what do I say when I pray? And that's where Jesus begins to go now in verse 7. He says, and when, so there it is one more time you pray. He says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And you say, okay, but there are many words about what? Because Jesus is saying, don't do this, so I want to know. Well, if you just keep reading, which we're about to do, it becomes pretty apparent that it's their many words about themselves and about their needs and about their families and about this and that and all of these things in their tiny little world. 
In other words, it's the stuff that occupies about 90%, 98% of what we typically spend time praying about. He says, don't, don't heap up phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, he says again. Why? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And you say, all right, well then, what should I pray about? Jesus says, okay, let me clear that up. He says, pray then like this. And then what he gives to us is the Lord's Prayer, which, believe it or not, and it might be hard for some of you to believe this, is not a prayer that is meant to be read or recited from memory. It's not. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I mean, I grew up in a church in which we did that every Sunday. Maybe you grew up in a church in which you did that every Sunday. I am very confident that there is at least a small contingent of people who wish that we did that every Sunday. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we should. What it does do, and the blessing of doing it week upon week, is that it drills down this prayer into your heart. The misleading aspect is that it misleads us into thinking that, oh, well, wait, I'm, I'm supposed to pray it just like that, and that's not the case. What Jesus is giving us is a model prayer. It is a prioritized list of topics given in a very particular order that needs to be respected that create for us what I'm going to call conversational hooks that we can then in our dedicated way and space and time and place and no electronics and no phones and no people come to the Lord and talk to Him about, hang our very real thoughts and words and worship upon these different hooks. And what's interesting about the order of this prayer, and you'll see this as we move through it, is that the part of the prayer that covers the part that usually occupies 90 to 99% of what we usually pray about is in the second half. And even when we get to that, Jesus commands us not just to pray for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. It's remarkable. So Jesus says, look, if you want to know how to pray, all right, then pray like this. And then he says, our Father. And, and you got to stop after our Father because that is a conversational hook. That's something to stop, to think about, to put yourself in front of the Holy Spirit and go, Lord, speak to me deep in my heart about the, the profound nature of this relationship that Christ has purchased at the expense of his life for me. Like, what are the implications of that? What do I need to work through in my understanding of that? Why is that a big deal? I mean, at the very least, Jesus is saying that this God that you come to when you pray is not some cold, distant, angry, off, way out, in the middle of nowhere kind of a God who doesn't care, but instead he is your loving, caring Father. And where is he located? Because it's the next conversational hook. He's located in heaven. Now, why is that significant? Because every time that God is pictured in the Bible, in heaven... He is seated on the throne of the universe. He is the great emperor and king of all things. Your father in heaven is the great emperor and king of all things. That's a remarkable thought, and I think it's one that challenges us as people who grew up in a democracy, you know, in which all of our leaders are nothing more than merely politicians. They're nothing more than people that we confer authority to. For a limited period of time and limited authority, incidentally, 
and that we're good with as long as they're loyal to us and they show their allegiance to us and they serve us the way that we were hoping that they would serve us. But if they don't serve us the way that we're hoping we, we were hoping they would serve us, well, then we feel free to openly criticize them, to malign them, to withhold our resources from them, to organize and protest against them, and hopefully to get them voted out of office in favor of somebody better. Okay, that is not a king. <laughs> and that is not God. You know, when you become a Christian, you, you, you don't like elect God to be your president by believing in Jesus. And, and, you know, and he can be the president as long as, I mean, he shows some allegiance, as long as he serves the way you want him to. And very, very different. He is your great emperor. He is your great king. He commands and demands authority over every inch and moment of your life. And yet, one of the things that Scott said last week that I thought was really, really good was a quote from Tim Keller where he said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. Okay, I want to amend that. And don't tell Keller this, but I... I'm going to make it better. Are you ready? This is going to be good. It's a rare occasion. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. That's the relationship that God wants with you. That's what he cultivates. That's what Christ came to give and to establish with you. But nevertheless, he is the great emperor and king, this father of yours. And what that does is it reorganizes our prayer life and it tells us that what we need to be concerned with primarily is him and his kingdom as opposed to us and our kingdom. And believe it or not, it's him and his kingdom that we're praying about. When we then pray in verse 9, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed simply means holy. And this is, I think, the most obscure part of this prayer, but maybe also the most beautiful. Sam Kastensmith, our, our pastor of education here in spiritual formation at Rio, wrote, I thought, beautifully about this in our personal worship reflections. If you get those things on our app, those pushes, they'll really kind of enrich your understanding of the passage as you work through it in personal worship week by week. But he talked about the fact that, okay, hallowed be your name doesn't just mean, hey, God, you are holy. Although I want to stop and say it doesn't mean less than that. And that is a big deal. I mean, that is itself a conversational hook. It is really significant that God is holy because it, it means other. It means different, incomparably different. God comes and says, who will you compare me to? To whom will you liken me? And there's nothing. There's no one. And that should matter to us. You know, if I make you a promise, I'm going to do everything that I can to keep the promise. I really will. I will have good intentions. I will work hard to make it happen. But you know what? I could die. So that would be the end of that, wouldn't it? Limited. Or maybe something happens and now all of a sudden I can't do it. Or maybe all of a sudden I, you know, all this, I'm privy to all this new information and I realize that was a foolish promise. And so hopefully I'll manage your expectations by circling back with you and going, you know what, I'm so sorry I made a promise and I can't keep it and here are the reasons and I hope that you agree with this. And da, 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 da. When God makes a promise, it's other. It's different. There's nothing that can withhold his hand. There's no bit of information he does not know. He's the everlasting God. He doesn't die. It's qualitatively different. He's qualitatively different in his promises, in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, in his power, in his wisdom, in his justice, in his peace, 
In every aspect of his character and integrity and being, God is holy. That is worthy of worship and conversation as we pray to him. But hallowed be your name means something more along the lines of God, may your name be exalted in all the earth. It's a prayer for revival. And how does that happen? Well, it happens by the power of his spirit through his people, but as his kingdom comes and as his will is done, next part of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven, that's the next conversational hook. And I think that this idea that God's kingdom should come and that his will should be done on earth as it is in heaven is, is something that we don't think much about. In fact, I think oftentimes we look at our faith, the Christian faith, as a means of escaping earth and going to heaven as opposed to bringing heaven to earth. And Jesus is saying, listen, the earth is not some God-forsaken place. The earth is to be a God-retaken place, and it's to be retaken by the power of the Spirit of God, alive through his people. As we learn to live lives that are reflected in the rest of this prayer, and that look a lot like the life of Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, now that we've been properly oriented toward God and his kingdom... We come to the second half of the prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray, give me, no, give us this day our daily bread. And I think there is certainly a spiritual aspect of that. I mean, Jesus comes and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger, right? Whoever drinks will never thirst. And certainly I pray, Lord, give us our daily need of provision of you. But I think that this primarily refers to just the basic necessities of life. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's instructive, isn't it? He's not teaching us to pray for anything more than the basic necessities of life. And the implications, I think, of that are that you and I are to, to learn how somehow to content ourselves with just the basic necessities of life. And I, I realize that that's really not something that many of us would be content with. I think some of us would go, yes, I'm concerned about just getting the basic necessities of life. But the overwhelming majority of us would be like, wait, come on. And yet, what is he calling us to do? I think he's calling us to exalt his name, hallowed be your name, and to build his kingdom by learning to content ourselves with far less than what we have so that we can then help in answering the very prayer that Jesus himself is instructing us to pray by helping meet the daily needs of other people. Give us this day our daily bread. I get to participate in the answer to that by being satisfied with my daily bread. And when I do, his name is exalted and his kingdom comes. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In light of what God has forgiven us, we should be the most forgiving people on the planet. Able to forgive the most grievous injuries, the most devastating and ugly things, because we have been forgiven much. And when we do, we hallow his name. We bring his kingdom. And then Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil, or really deliver us from the evil one. Why? So that morally and ethically, we can be a different kind of people. We can stand out as light in the darkness. 
We can distinguish ourselves. Why? Because we're good and we're better. No, 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 because Christ is alive and at work in us and His Spirit is enabling a passion in us that replaces the passions that were taking us down very different roads. And as we learn to live these different kind of lives, dying more and more to sin and living more and more to righteousness, what do we end up doing? With the whole of our lives, we end up exalting the name of God, hallowed be your name, and building his kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the old King James adds something to this prayer that I don't really don't think is part of the original prayer, but I love it. And I do think it's biblical. It simply ends with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And it is. So here's your assignment for this week, okay? I want you to sit down this afternoon. Don't wait or it'll just go by you. You'll blink, it'll be next week, and you'll go, oh man, I forgot and I was supposed to. Okay, so don't do that. Go home immediately, look at your calendar, and carve out three times this week. Three. If you do personal worship, five. I'll take five. That's much better. But if you're doing nothing, three. And find your prayer closet. And if you really like cannot find one, we have a prayer room upstairs. It's a tiny little room. It's really awesome. You can schedule a time and literally come in here and pray. And we've got all kinds of things to pray about that are kingdom related on the wall and everywhere else. And it's, it's pretty amazing. We'd love to have you do that. But find a time, put it into your calendar where the phone's going on airplane. I'm going to get away from all people and I'm going to spend some dedicated space with the Lord. Not to get things from him, but to meet with him. And then in that time, take this prayer and just work your way hook by hook. And don't be compulsive. You know, you don't have to get all the way through it. I'm speaking mostly to myself, right? If you're like, ah, oh, I got three minutes and I got four more things to cover. Just let the spirit move you. You know, pick up the next day and take it the rest of the way if you need to. Be free in that time. And don't just listen, but... I mean, don't just pray, but also listen. Conversational is dialogical. It's not a monologue. What is the Lord saying to you? You know, get a notepad and journal and write some things down. You know, I, I felt like he wanted me to pray for this person. I felt like he was bringing this verse of Scripture to my mind. I felt like he was saying to me, you know what, you need to deal with this particular issue. I'm going to write that down. I felt this way when I did this. And you might get to the end and go, hey, Tom, I tried it and I got nothing on my paper. Well, keep at it. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. How do you get to know somebody's voice? By listening to it. Spending time with that person. Pray, Lord, let me hear your voice. Let me come to know it. Let me understand what it is that you want me to do or be or how you want me to feel or what you want me to hear. Because here's the deal. Communication is the foundation of every good relationship. And in case you missed it, here's what God wants. He wants a good relationship with you. And he's done everything necessary to make it happen. So I'm going to invite Matt to come on up. And we're just going to take some time and just reflect on that and give God some space, some time. Amen.